So Jennifer, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, hosting us here at Planar Headquarters in Hillsboro. So a lot I want to talk about. Um, want to learn more about your CMO role, kind of how you got here. Um, also want to talk about Planar. So kind of start with that. It's a big company here in Hillsboro, but it's it's one that probably people don't know when they hear the name, but they know all the products. So could you tell me a little bit about you know what you guys do? Um, I know you just got acquired, so love to learn you know first out kind of who you are and the products you guys uh, make. Sure. I do feel like we're like uh, Beaverton's best kept secret yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, Planar was founded in 1983. We were spin out of Tektronix. So we, if you've ever seen one of those, I think Portland State puts them out, those um, uh, planet diagrams, the oh, yeah. galaxy of tech mm-hmm. companies. We're in the Tektronics okay. uh, sphere. Um, and we've been doing flat panel displays for a long, long time. And so those take the form of desktop monitors that people use on their desk, all the way up to very large video walls mm-hmm. that are used in command and control environments mm-hmm. um, and retail, public spaces, this kind of thing. And about a year and a half ago, we were acquired uh, by a company whose headquarters is in China, okay. uh, but really wanted to grow internationally and saw Planar as a great partner uh, to do that. And so as a result of that acquisition, Planar, or what had been Planar standalone, became the international business of Liard. I should have mentioned that earlier. The company that uh, the acquiring company is named Liard, L-E-Y-A-R-D. And Liard is the number one LED manufacturer in the world, um, making everything from billboard displays to fine, what's called fine pitch or really high pixel density displays that are used indoors. So very exciting visual technologies, mm-hmm. very complementary to what Planar had been doing for years and years. And combining efforts, we're really finding that we're getting traction and even more traction in the marketplace, bringing... Liard's core technology and LED, together with you know, planners go to market mm-hmm. and uh, channel relationships, and the fact that you know in this acquisition the international team now has a executive team that mm. is you know has been working together for a long time and is leading the business forward. So we've experienced in this past year and a half an incredible amount of growth. Um, we're uh, you know gaining in a lot of categories that are really important to us, and again. Even despite the acquisition, um, we're growing in the Portland area, actually hiring more people okay. and, and trying to keep up with the growth. Yeah. So you have, I guess, a step back on your role. How, mm-hmm. You started here on the marketing team? Is- yeah. So uh, I joined Planar for the first time in 1998. Our biggest display at the time was 10.4 inches diagonal, <laughs> and we sold embedded components, so displays that were basically readouts on other people's products. Mm. So whether you bought a patient monitoring system or a defibrillator or an industrial process control or a dashboard as part of a long-haul truck or something, mm. you a gas pump, you had our displays in somebody. We were the NutraSuite to somebody else's Diet Coke, if you can yeah, imagine. Yeah. And then I left for a few years, went to work at Intel, mm. uh, went to graduate school, and then was recruited back. And so initially when I started at Planar, I was in a marketing role, marketing communications and global services, um, and did that for several years. And then when I came back, I came back into a non-marketing role. And that was really important to me. Mm. I know we've talked about Mm. this before, and I know many of your listeners will resonate with this, is that I always wanted to be a business person Mm -hmm. first. And 
I wanted to be, you know, leading and influencing an organization um, and product lines and involved in strategy, not just executing a communications plan. And I could certainly do that and, um, you know, have come full circle to that's a big part of my job today, but it's a a more well-rounded part of my job. Um, but anyway, I, I moved back into an operations role. I ran supply chain. I ran customer service. I did a variety of um, operations planning roles. Hmm. I um, did some integration work, channel marketing, um, moved uh, to some temporary assignments to Boston and the Bay Area, did strategic planning hmm. um, under a couple of CEOs here. And uh, then along the way, we decided to go um, – functional rather than having a business unit structure. And when we decided to do that, I was asked to take on marketing and sort of represent that seat at the table, so to speak. And uh, it was very important to me that at the time, it wasn't just, again, marketing communications or digital marketing and demand gen. It was also product strategy. And so I have all of product management as well as our go-to-market. Got it. And I think that's really interesting because you, so you spoke at uh, the PDX Marketing Forum event that uh, yeah. um, you're co-chair for for me. And that was kind of the theme of the talk is as a marketer, like I said, being a business person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think a lot of folks in other companies don't maybe have that luxury of uh, that's kind of the uh, the view of it. So did you, how did you influence that here? Was it kind of from the top down that just, they allowed you to, you know, try these other roles and come back or, um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a great question. I think there is two things have to come together mm-hmm. for that to work. One is that the marketing teams and the leadership they're in really needs to well, be, be capable of being business people, right. for one, mm-hmm. um, and ha- be interested. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where it all starts. And really invest in themselves in understanding how the score is kept in a business mm-hmm. and how their role directly impacts that and be able to position and talk about what they do in light of the business results. Because this is all about ROI, mm-hmm. right? Um, whether you're in marketing or engineering or operations, I mean, the common scorecard for all of that is the financial statements of the company. And so I just implore you marketers out there, um, <laughs> it's your job yeah, to know how the score is kept, um, no matter what your role on the team is. Um, but there's also an organizational readiness piece too. And I don't want to diminish that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of course, you can only take so much responsibility or influence that to a certain extent. I was very fortunate in my career to work for... Uh, several leaders who um, just really elevated um, the role of marketing, and I don't mean the marketing department. Where again, we're not really like that, right. and and I hope you know people are thinking beyond their own empire, their own team or staff, thinking about the first team of mm-hmm. what the company is about, but really elevating that strategic planning role, elevating that idea that um, that we were going to. Uh, gather market requirements and let those drive where we were investing and we were going to make you know bold strategic decisions and then execute those well and so again it, you know both those things have to come together yeah. the people have to be ready and the organization has to be ready and both of them influence each other like i hope that the uh, marketing professionals who join my team become better business people working here i mean we hope that's true we strive yeah. for that to be true. Um, and 
And likewise, I would hope that um, individuals who are seeking to have a larger impact on their companies are recognized and valued um, enough to actually have an influence on the larger organization. Mm-hmm. And so it goes both ways. It goes yeah, both ways. And it's great. So I'm, I'm going to shift a little bit. So you're the, you know, you're the CMO. You yes. have this global role. We were talking before this. Um, you you have your own blog. You're on the board of directors for a nonprofit. Uh, you speak a lot. You say you're traveling a lot. And so it seems to me you're like one of the hungriest people I know as far as in, you're doing some other projects for universities you're just telling me about. So uh, most of the folks listening to this are, you know, executives. That balance, you know, I hear it a lot in, at events. It's kind of talked about. Should there be one, or what's kind of your perspective that you have a family? Um, I feel like Portland's an interesting place because that's just naturally here. It's encouraged a little bit, mm-hmm. right? But the tides are changing a little bit. We're getting more companies here. We're, our city's changing. So uh, I just wanted to, there's a big question, but I want to get your thoughts personally, but also here in Portland, how the business climate's shifting and that culture might be changing too. Sure. Well, um, you know, balance, of course, is a myth. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I mean, even the word balance, you know, if, if you've ever watched somebody who balances for a living, like those amazing Olympic athletes that get on that four inch bar mm-hmm. and they make it look so easy. I mean, they're they're on the edge of falling off at all times. So like if if you are feeling in your life that there's a lot going on and you're teetering, then guess what? You're balanced. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's, yeah. you know, yeah. so get, we, we, I think we first have to start by giving ourselves a break, right? you know, yeah. and realizing that there is a time and a place, there's a chapter of our life for stuff that we want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I read, read recently, uh, someone said that you can have it all. You just can't have it all at once. <laughs> and, and I think that's yeah. very true. Yeah. Um, and so again, I think any discussion of balance has to start with like, I, I don't know anyone who who really if it, you know if you could see past their sanitized Facebook posts right. or their you know blog posts yeah. or whatever um, it really probably feels like they're doing it right all of us are are doing our best mm-hmm. so I, I would give you that um, I am involved in a lot of things I've been afforded um, a lot of freedom to do that as a part of my job here. Um, which is very good, but that's been something that I've um, prioritized. As a leader, you have to create time. Mm-hmm. Like you, time will not just appear on your calendar to record a podcast right. with my right. friend Dan. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to block that stuff out, and so it's the strategic will that becomes a tactical implementation. You block it out, and then what happens is that the rest of your schedule just sort of folds around that. And again, I, I don't want to be too um, tactical about it, but really, like you have to make time for the things that are important to you. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I first got involved with Marathon Scholars, which is the local nonprofit um, that Dan's done some some great advising of as well over time, um, I just decided that I wanted to give back. But I really counted the cost. I yeah. mean, I asked, "What is the expectation around board meeting attendance? What is the expectation around?" committee involvement how many hours is this going to take and then i had to block it out right and the process of blocking it out is where the rubber hits the road on everything um i would also say um i do have another uh, secret weapon that is a complete luxury um that i know many families and executives don't have and that is uh my husband 
is a full-time dad. Okay. And um, there are many things that I could not do, I mean, could not do, without his full support. So I am his biggest fan, and he demonstrates every day that he's mine. That's and great. so, you know, we we are in this together. We have two kids, a, a, a teen and a tween, mm. and um, you know they keep they keep our lives very busy. <laughs> but they but with my travel schedule and that kind of thing, their life doesn't change so much. And again, right. I I recognize that that's a complete luxury um, that not all not all families have. Mm. But we've been able to utilize that to the best advantage of our family and and to my career as well. That's great. And so. Like, you know, Portland-wise. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah getting back and, to Portland. So um, it's interesting. I feel like there's a couple of trends that might Because be, you grew up here, right? Uh, I went to high school here. Okay. I born and raised in Bakersfield, California. Okay. So I can appreciate the green. Yeah, yeah. And the investment that we make in the rain to yeah, get the green, yeah. I guess. Um, I would say there's a couple of trends that actually might be opposing trends. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Mm. One is that there's a big emphasis here and has been for a long time on lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, people people will talk in impassioned terms about where they were when they visited Portland and they had their like quasi-religious experience right. yeah. and they fell in love with the city, yeah. in quotes, and they decided to pack up, move here, whatever, right? I mean... That is so common that it like it it's mythic proportions. Everybody has their like moment where they went here and they were at Pittock Mansion or they went to whatever they were, right? Yeah. And they had their moment. Um, so there's and of course this is a very great place to live in terms of the ocean and the mountains and the water around and how beautiful it is and there's all this activity both indoor and outdoor mm-hmm. and vibrant art scene and all the stuff that we that we love about Portland. So there's that theme where people are moving here because Portland is part of like the draw. It yeah. isn't like a oh and the job's also in Portland. It's like let me lead with that, right? right. The job's in Portland. Oh, and it's also an interesting job. Um but this has been a really interesting past couple of years for corporations in Oregon. Uh, a lot has been written and said about companies, longtime employers in Portland being bought mm-hmm. uh, by outside companies, um, some of which are keeping vibrant staffs here and keeping decision makers here. I mean, Liard is, is an example of one. We've had no executive um, roles, um, save the CEO that that sort of switched out maybe a year ago now, um, move out of the state. I mean, hmm. everybody is, is here and That's leading great. their teams and that kind of thing. That hasn't been the case in other organizations or as the integration has taken place. Yeah. You know, there's been more, you know, people or teams or the next hire happening somewhere else. Um, and it, again, as some of the some additional companies are now in the throes of due diligence and integration, it'll just be interesting. I mean, the number of publicly traded companies, the number of, frankly, the number of CEOs in Oregon of companies of a certain size, I mean, it's a dwindling list. Yeah. And mm. so the impact mm. of that, the impact of decision makers, the impact of budget owners, the impact of sort of corporate strategic leadership moving moving out of the state, again, as a function of these acquisitions, um, I don't know if we fully con- contemplated what that will mean. And I know a lot of people are talking about it, but not again, not sure what that means for the community and what 
even communities we should look to benchmark. You know, mm-hmm. where has this happened before? Right. That we could look for best practices or cautionary tales. I, again, I, I hope people in city planning, I hope people in state government, I hope people in economic development roles are thinking about this more than I am. But even as just a, a player in this system, um, and, you know, it causes me pause uh, to think about what the, the implications of that will be to, you know, the future of innovation and employment and leadership in in the state. Yeah. And so why that's going on kind of a macro level, you have all these, you know, college grads moving to Portland. I was, uh, had a, you know, we were talking to Aaron from Wells Fargo, who would be on the podcast uh, the other day, that Portland's always in the top five of where college grads move. So we have this abundance of people moving here and talent. Like 100 a day or it's, some crazy. I, I, yeah. I don't, I, Aaron or you might know the yeah. number, but it's an amazing number of people who are moving to the area. Yeah. And so when you're just as strictly as, you know, a hiring manager, is that, I mean, that's great for you? Or is it, I mean, how is that affecting kind of plan R or just in general as far as the, the talent pool? And uh, We have probably, in marketing roles, we've it's certainly been a net benefit. Um, we have had people that were from the area or familiar with the area anxious to move back. Mm-hmm. So we've been able to recruit from other parts of the country um, where the appeal of coming to Portland was like, please get me there. Oh, and the job looks interesting yeah. too. And so that, there was a good fit. Um, we've also benefited from, um, you know, just some local talent, you know, moving up uh, through the ranks and and getting the experience elsewhere that they needed to be real successful here as well. Um, I think the downside of all of that, again, if people were, you know, the upside is how great it is for the community and how what a wonderful place it is to live. The downside is that uh, it's a very is growing expensive to live here too yeah. now we are we are in a suburb you're sitting in our offices we're right on the edges of beaverton and hillsborough i think both cities fight over us got it <laughs> um but we are very near the ohsu campus here in this amber glen tannisbourne area if listeners are familiar with that and so there are places further out you know further west from here the hillsborough i mean we have employees that live in Cornelius and they live in banks and they, you know, because that's where Force Grove, because that's where, you know, homes are available and commuting here is yep. is not a big deal. Now, if we were located downtown or on the inner east side, it'd be a different story. Right. Um, and in fact, we've had employees, you know, commute from the Salem area up here. And I have several employees, namely because of our uh, purchase of Clarity Visual Systems years ago uh, that was headquartered in Wilsonville that commute from south of here and, you know, fight, fight the joys of 217. Yeah. So I, you know, it's uh, how, but housing is a, is a issue. Um, and will continue to be an issue, especially as more people move into the area and want to find, well, a place to live to accompany their job and their bicycle. Yeah. We'll see what, where, what happens. I mean, we're all yeah. kind of curious, but um, I don't see it's the, the growth stopping. No. Right, and it's no. it, and it's good. I, I mean, there's yeah. a lot of we're you're just saying there's um, there's a lot of outposts moving here. You know, you have mm-hmm. like Under Armour's just about to open their little mm-hmm. not little but yeah, uh, yeah. their their office here. So, <laughs> but the absence of kind of the strategic leadership um, creates an interesting kind of dynamic. So yeah, and actually, you know, quite a few people are talking in the that uh, the impact of not having some of that leadership here means 
you know, the long-term effects of that could, again, could be really interesting. And again, this is not, I'm not talking about Liard and um, Planer because, again, leadership is here. We're making decisions to grow here. But, um, you know, in other companies, is this seen as the place where they're going to add the next right. 5,000 employees or 10,000 employees or 100 employees? Yeah. You know, I, you want to make sure that that is happening and that the investment stays in the city to benefit not only the job outlook, but also the nonprofit world yeah. and, you know, the university and education system. I mean, all those other pieces that rely on corporate involvement. Yeah. And so another part mm-hmm. of this is kind of the tech, you know, um, companies here and just the investment here. And so are you involved personally or Planar involved in kind of um, – part of that scene, I would say, like the, the, the Technology Association of Oregon, you host them. Um, what's kind of your, are you an investor personally? Kind of what's your, how do you guys engage with that? Here? So uh, TAO actually, yeah, we, we try to engage. Uh, we participate. We were nominated for a Company of the Year Award for them this year, which was, was great to yeah. see. Um, and uh, in fact, just this afternoon, I'm participating in a TAO event. So we try to you know stay connected to that, especially as they have sort of functional committees. So, you know, I'm participating in something that's a marketing focused thing, um, and I have other colleagues that participate in HR related things right. and CIO related events. We're going to be participating in a career fair kind of thing they're doing in the fall. So yeah, we try to participate in those kind of things. Um, you know, TAO. Not only because it was a merger from the Software Association, but also just the nature of the tech scene, especially in in the core of Portland, um, it's a very software focused. Yeah, which is fine. It, it, again, I I encourage all technology development, um, but you know we find ourselves often, um, you know the sole representatives of people who make things. Right. <laughs> Which is fine. I can hold it. I can yeah, see it. Yeah, I, I, I can hold it. I can yeah, see yeah. it. We're, you know, we build apps, but they're just to control things. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I, you know, we participate in that for sure. Um, I know that we've had, um, you know, leaders here participate in, you know, their organizational fund and other things to actively um you know, invest in, in the community in that way, in the entrepreneurial. Uh, we've had quite a few people over time, you know, including, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier we acquired Clarity a few years ago. Well, Paul Gulick, who founded Clarity and before that had founded InFocus, mm-hmm. um, InFocus spun out of Planar. He was a Planar employee. He was an oh, engineer okay. here. And, um, and you know, he's gone on to be not only a serial entrepreneur, but a very much a mentor and a uh, encourager of the entrepreneur scene here in Portland. And so, you know, he sits on some boards and advisory. So again, I feel like all like in this larger, like planar participating in that community, I, we have, but I, I would say it's been more of a like individuals right. out okay. looking for yeah. ways to, to connect um, there in a way that's, that's meaningful for, for them and sort of aligned with their passions. Well, great. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for you know being on the podcast. Um, you know, I, I hope this uh, brings value for people that are, are listening, and I think it's going to be a good series. We're just going to profile a bunch of executives. We're starting with kind of marketing folks because that's kind of my crew, but you know, we're going to interview some CEOs and some other functions. So, thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. 